0: Hey, it's Alexander J, Thanks for tuning in for the episode. Really fun show this week. We've got a debutant on the show. And we talk all things NBA from what was a really incredible Week 22. We tried to pick a performance of the week. And there was so many to discuss that Steph Curry's 50-point game barely gets a mention. We also get to who the panel has penciled in for their major awards. And at the end, we talk about the bloodbath that's happening in the West. Plus, Mark L. Fultz's career-high game tonight. Markel Fultz! If you're not driving while listening to the pod, please take a moment and consider subscribing... Or leaving us a review And also, if you enjoy the show Consider talking about us to a friend Anyway, on with the show All right, thanks for joining us for the NBA Weekly Recap Show again on the Mojo Sports Network. My name is Alexander Jay and I'll be your host today. Joining me, I've got a couple of lads here to talk all things ball. Hailing from Melbourne, he's a sports facility owner and a fantasy team fanatic, Julian Balthazar. How are you? Good, thanks for having me again. Not a problem. Next up, you may have heard him on 91.3 Sport FM in Perth. It's our mini encyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic. How are you?
1: Good, Alex. Yourself?
0: Hanging in. And finally, you may have read him on the raw.com and joining us for the very first time, Tom Dev. Thanks, Alex. Excited to join the team. Thanks for, thanks for being here, mate. We're excited to talk to you. Just some brief housekeeping before we get started. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download the episode or leave us a review. It means a lot to us as a new sports network. We are hosted on the Mojo Sports Network and we have some fantastic other content as well for NRL, AFL, the Women in Gridiron and the NFL follow us on Instagram at Mojo Sports Network and Mojo Stateside for all your NBA and NFL content. Lads, it was a super fun week in the NBA, if I'm being honest. There was a couple of really good performances, um, a couple teams sliding back towards the middle, and a couple uh, stories that we'll get to in the next 45 minutes, hopefully. I've got a couple of performances listed, and I want you to talk to me and have a bit of a discussion about what was the best performance of the week. And I'll start with three or four that happened early in the week. Duel Embiid against the Cavs had 36 points, 18 rebounds, uh, three assists and four blocks, and then backed it up later in the week with a 38-point performance in three, uh, three quarters against the Hornets. Steph Curry had 50 against the Clippers in a loss. De'Aaron Fox had a 32-point game plus the game winner over two men versus the Bulls. That was a really fun game to watch. SGA on his return to the lineup had 35 Bradley Beal had 36 on 15 shots against the Pistons. Giannis returned to the to the lineup with 46 points, 12 rebounds. Kyrie Irving had 38 points in a one-point win against the Lakers. And DeMar DeRozan had 49 points, 14 rebounds in a two-overtime game win against Timberwolves. Julian, where do you even start to pick a performance of the week? Do you have one of those guys or another one we've missed? No, you mentioned it first.
2: Uh, I think you got it right the first time. Embiid is definitely the talk of the week. And uh, I watched the full game where he (laughs) just demolished the Cavs on his own. (laughs) And um, I think it came after he said he was unguardable. And funnily enough, I think they, at times they had two or three players on him and he literally would just spin out of trouble, put up some ridiculous shots and uh, yeah, put the game on his shoulders really. And on both ends
0: as well. It's unreal what Joel Embiid is doing. He's really, this this is the last couple of weeks he's you know, you, you follow his progress, you know, missed the first couple of years and he starts to become this dominant player and you think maybe you can carve out a Hall of Fame career the last couple of weeks in this stretch. And he's been great for a few years now, but the last couple of weeks, he's been doing something special with that post game, but pushing outside, he's got a fadeaway that looks like a slow Kobe jumper. Um, Joel Embiid really killing it. Tom, have you got a performance that you want to highlight?
3: Yeah, so typically I like to pick players from winning sides, but I just couldn't go past Steph Curry's 50-point game against the Clippers, I mean, 71% from the field, 57% from the three, and he's just the most watchable player in the league at the moment when he's on. You give him an inch and he's going to make the shot no matter what. They were double-teaming him. They were even knocking him down. You know, Towards the end of that third quarter, he was just hitting some ridiculous shots when he was basically falling down and he just threw it up off the board and went straight in. Um, and, you know, despite the loss, 50 points when, you know, he's predominantly shooting threes is just crazy.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy that he scored 50 and we're not really talking about it that much this week because there was that many great performances. Uh, Yuri, Embiid, Curry, or have you got another one?
1: Yeah, I've got the Giannis one, Alex. I thought watching the game early in the week, just right from the outset, he's, we know, of course, his driving ways to the lane is just something that teams really can't figure out and haven't figured out for a good five to six seasons since he won the Most Improved Player Award back in 2016-17. And really against Sacramento, who arguably have to say are one of the worst defensive teams, although they are yeah. the best offensive team in the league. You know, having Sabonis trying to guard him up close isn't going to work. They had at times Kessler Edwards guarding him in the block where in one stage during the third quarter during a play, they basically threw the ball into Giannis in the block. There came a double team to help Kessler Edwards out and he just spun around the other way and laid it in. And just those things that Giannis has built over his career from just the downhill motion to also that turnaround jumper, which I think when he first came into the league, Alex, that it took a long time for him to really get that jumper mm. right because I think teams saw sort of figured out along the way he's gonna attack the paint and the rim every single time he has the ball in his hands. But now what we saw on Tuesday and we've seen for a good three, four seasons now, is that he'll take two, three dribbles from you know the backcourt into the front court and take a three pointer where you know he's most comfortable with in terms of taking long distance shots and of course he's only shooting what 28.6 28.7% from downtown this season he's only been around that mark for his average in his career but for him if he can take two three three pointers per game and hit two of those then that's just a win for Milwaukee because basically the whole team is laden with shooters. We can go through Drew Holday, Chris Middleton, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen, Joe Ingles, mm. Jay Crowder's a reliable three point shooter, Brooke Lopez, Splash Mountain Man. We Somehow, spoke about yeah. last Sunday. Yeah, it's just it's such a plethora of three point shooters that Milwaukee has, and it's super hard to guard because it's so similar to what they had we spoke about last week as well in the early 2000s under George Carr where they're just basically a jump shot shooting team and this is basically in the same mold that they've got except the other thing is though there's such a great points in the paint team as well and that just makes it so hard to contain if you're the opposition
0: I have a bit of a spicy take that's just kind of formulated Yuri while you've been talking there and we talk about Giannis's growth over the last few years Um, since Kidd was the head coach in Milwaukee. He really has kind of gone to that next level. And when I watch the Mavs this year, it hasn't been the kind of X's and O's um, execution that you would like. You can blame some of that on Luca. You can blame some of that on new teams, rotating players. Are we sure Jason Kidd is a good coach? It's a bit of a spicy take. I can talk about it later if you're not ready.
1: I can talk about it now, Alex, if you want. Go for it, Yuri. Yeah, I just thought... Their first season, he really helped, you know, transform the Bucks' defensive identity. I think Milwaukee, by memory, were fifth for defensive rating that season. And considering the year before when only went fifteen and sixty-seven, which by memory is the worst record ever mm. in Bucks franchise history. And of course, that was Giannis's rookie year, Chris's first season. Milwaukee is part of the Brandon Jennings deal. So thank you, Detroit, for giving us to him. And, you know, he's provided all these, you know, memorable highlights for us. And I think Basically, what we had at that time, Alex, as well, we had a young Jabari Park as well as taken with the second overall pick in that 2014 draft. And we saw, you know, the real true potential that he had until, you know, he tore, tore up his ACL against, I think it was Phoenix in a mid December game as well. And sadly, you know, we didn't see him for, you know, the next season. And we know, of course, I think it was the season after he tore his ACL against Miami on February 9, 2017. So it's those little, I think there's also one thing as well I want to add to, that roster as well back in 14-15. And John Henson and Larry Sanders, I'm pretty sure, was still mm. on that team as well. And that guy was an absolute rebounding and blocking machine. I've just never seen anything like that before, apart from, of course, Ben Wallace, Dennis Rodman, Kareem, Wilt. We can write, we can name the, you know, the rest of the centers, Shaquille O'Neal. But his sheer athleticism and ability to help out on defense as well. And I think we saw. Maybe it was two seasons ago actually, even before, you know, Jason Kidd became a head coach in the NBA. And I'm pretty sure it was Jim no not Jim Baller. I can't remember the name of the interim Bucks coach that took over, but Larry Sanders had that unbelievable breakout 2012-13 season as well. I think that was a game against Boston in a overtime win in early December, I think. Might have been December twenty one, actually, which the Bucks won 99-94, and he was incredible. Now, in that, if that's in real, and you pulled that from your memory well. bank, Yuri, that's an yeah, yeah. unreal yeah.
0: pull. I might just stop there. If that's yeah. real, I'll check it's, this. Can editing. we
1: confirm that, please?
2: <laughs> that's
0: an unreal pull. We didn't tee that up at all. Just, so I'll check that.
2: December in not twenty second or the twentieth. December twenty one. The <laughs> encyclopedia has come through again.
0: I'll, I'll put some applause in the editing if, if, <laughs> if we find <laughs> out that's real. Hey, it's Alex. Um, I'm in the edit, and it's seven forty-two p.m. A couple of hours after we filmed, and Yuri's pulled that from memory. I'm staring at an article from December 21st, 2012, a career-high 20 rebounds and almost 17 high points fade on 10 shooting for Larry Sanders. So whatever Yuri's got going on in his brain is incredible. And uh, here's back to the show. But that's, a, that's a really good segue when we talk about um, defense historically with Larry Sanders and Giannis as well, perpetual defensive player of the year candidate. We talked last week about Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, a really strong defensive team. Um, the Kings... Not known for their defense mm-hmm. this year. Uh, surprisingly, they're 8-2 and two in the last 10 games, With even being the sieve that they are. Um, and playing really well, DeManta Sabona is sometimes a bit of that sieve action, but I think he's averaging 20 points, 18 rebounds this week. Um, Tom, do you get much chance to watch the Kings or are you like most people and don't want to watch Sacramento? <laughs> uh,
3: basically, before this season, I wouldn't even consider watching Sacramento if they're the only game being played. But uh, I have to say, they are one of the most entertaining teams to watch. Mm. And their whole gimmick with light the beam is just so much fun, especially when they're on the road and, you know, they're in buildings, even like the LA Clippers and stuff. And their fans are out chanting their uh, opponents and just shouting out light the beam. Um, And, you know, the combination of Sabonis and Fox has just been insane and how successful it's been. And I mean, it was widely criticized when they traded for Sabonis giving up Halliburton, but one of the rare win-win trades that we've seen ever. And, uh, you know, Come clutch time as well, you just know Fox is going to hit a big shot. And uh, Mark Jones, the commentator, called him. You know, D'Aaron Him, and it's not—it's not exactly incorrect.
0: Yeah, we might talk about De'Aaron Fox later in the pod when we talk about Clutch Player of the Year, which is one of those new awards. Um, look, Bradley Beal had 36 points, shooting 13 for 15 against the Pistons. Sorry, friend of the show, Jack Brophy couldn't be here this week, but he's a Pistons diehard. Unfortunately for him, um, and not on my run sheet, Damian Lillard had 40 points in a really. Uh, Upsetting loss for Portland. Um, Sacramento were one of those teams last year where we thought, oh, "What is this franchise doing?" But both of those guys, Beal and Lillard, are on franchises, which it's just pretty rough to be a fan of them. Maybe if you're Washington, you can think we still got Bradley Beal. You know, no trade clause for 200 plus million dollars, and Kyle Kuzma. I think top scored today with 33 points, but no direction there outside of their gorgeous pink uniforms. Or Portland, um, you know, Anthony Simons has missed some time this year, and blah blah blah. But Which would you rather be? What franchise would you rather be a fan of? They're both kind of struggling, middling, not a lot of assets to trade for, can't trade in in the Wizards case. Uh, Julian?
2: No, you're spot on. It's a very tricky situation to be in. I would love to see Lillard and Bill both win a championship. Um, And sadly, I do not feel like that's with Wizards or the Blazers. So uh, to answer that question, I would not support either of them. And um, it's uh, because Lillard especially um, proves that Loyalty still can exist in the NBA, but it comes at a cost, Um, quite contrary to players like Durant, who um, are fantastic players but will chase the championships.
0: So Tom's player of the week was Curry. Julian had Embiid. Uh, Yuri wanted to talk about Giannis. I watched all of the Bulls' double overtime win against the Timberwolves. Mm. Um, Last week I said, this is the week we'll find out if the Bulls still have it or not. Um, Spoiler alert, I prepared for my own podcast with thinking this week that the Bulls don't have it anymore and they pulled out a victory today. Um, so I'm, I'm not ready to go on that. But DeMar had 46 points, um, played 52 minutes. Um, I think he had some crazy amount in the second half in particular. Zach Levine played fairly well at the end of that game. Um, that's my performance for the week. DeMar DeRozan, it's really hard. He's just the mid-range god. And I. he's mm. such a beautiful thing to watch sometimes. Shades of Kobe, shades of MJ. Just can get to the rim when he needs to. Uh, my player of the week there so we'll take a break and we'll come back with some more hot topics for the week all right you're back on the nba weekly recap show on the mojo sports network uh, we're going to talk about some of our hot topics from week 22 in the association um tom you and i have spoken previously about the clippers do you want to take it from here
3: yeah so Bit of a rough year for them, up and down. Uh, but last week they I think were four and one, looking really strong. Kawhi suddenly looks like he's actually back to where he was before that ACL injury. Since the all-star break, he's been averaging 31 points and seven rebounds. Um and their, you know, remaining for uh, eleven games, only three of them are uh, against teams over five hundred, um, which are the Grizzlies twice and the Suns. So they could realistically mount a run to close out the season and get one of those higher seeds. Their home court advantage isn't as big as some of the other teams with their fan base, unfortunately. But with Kawhi back in, in this form, I could generally see them making a mount for the championship. They've got great defenders all across the board with switchability. You know, their centers now with Plumlee and Zubak are you know, quite a big advantage when you consider the other big men in the West aren't as threatening when you take away Jokic. Um, And, you know, the Westbrook piece, that's the big question. Are they actually going to play him in the playoffs? Who knows? Uh, And can they rely on Paul George as well? He's just a noted playoff choker, unfortunately. (laughs) But, you know, if Kawhi goes back to what he was doing in the playoffs, where basically he was scoring 40 to 30-odd points every game, I could see them going all the way.
0: Again, as a Raptors guy, a healthy Kawhi is one of the things I fear the most. Um, he has had stretches very recently where he's looked unreal. I think he had a game earlier this week with 30 points from the top of my memory. Uh, Clippers currently sitting in fifth, a game and a half, back from the Suns in fourth. Um, Suns still missing Durant with not a real timetable to return. You expect maybe he comes back for a couple games. So the opportunity there is to slip in a fourth, but I don't think they'll catch the Kings Kings in third. They're about seven games behind. But if they do have that slide uh, like you were talking about, there's that breadth of teams right behind them breathing down their neck. I mean, they're a game up from the Mavs, a game and a half up from the Warriors, and then two and a half games up from everyone else in that Western jumble. So Clippers get a couple wins and then you think maybe that's a really solid um, home court team for the playoffs. Yuri, what interests you from this week?
1: Yes. So basically what I took away was Chris Middleton's return to the starting five, Alex. And I think since you know he's had those injuries, the early wrist season surgery as well, the MCL surgery he had after hurting in game two of the opening round last postseason against the Chicago Bulls. And it took a little while for him to sort of find his stride again Alex, he's only averaging basically close to a career low, 14 points per game. But I think what we've seen from the last five outings since his return to the starting lineup is he's almost back to what he was in terms of, you know his production, his you know, smooth, smooth jump shot where you know it's so effortless. He only needs to take two or three dribbles at the best of times and pull up for three, and automatically the ball's going to go through the hoop. He also as well with this turnaround jump as well, which I think we saw during Game 7, that 2021 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Brooklyn Nets in the deciding game, which he had that pivotal, I think it was 12, 14-foot jump shot. He turned around and... Turned back again to basically put the Bucks up two possessions at that point. So, alone what we saw against Sacramento was very similar to he. You know, the thirty-one points was you know really super efficient as always from Chris, but also he's facilitating. And I think if you're, of course, a die-hard Bucks fan, you'll know exactly what he brings in terms of the passing. And it's pretty rare for you know teams to have you know a shooting guard or slash small forward, which is the position that Chris does play to average close to five assists a game. And we saw against the Kings, he's passing out of double teams and court vision to feed up, you know, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez for that basic game dagger three, I'm pretty sure, by memory as well. It was, you know, those things you can't really teach in a way and it's very hard to replicate in, on, in-game situations. For him to have nine assists as well on top of what, you know, Giannis and Drew does, you know, on the ball offensively is just – Something else, but also the other part as well, which is going to be more scary for you know opposition going forward in this last 12 games for the Bucks have in the regular season and come the postseason, as well as that Middleton Yanis pick and roll combination from mm. the top of the key where Yanis will roll to the rim, or at times where Yanis will set a screen and Chris can just pull up for the mid range jumper, which makes it so hard if you're an opposition team trying to scout exactly do I, you know, attack. Chris and not you know allowing to get to that spot or trying to deny Giannis going to the paint where Chris can just lob it up to him to the sky where he'll just dunk it home so those are real conundrums I think teams are going to have and you know we'll say as Bucks fans oh yeah well Boston were you know super lucky that Chris didn't play the entire series but you know against a clean slate Alex alone and you know that could well be a potential Eastern Conference Finals preview even though we're not there yet so again all signs are really good for you know the way Middleton's playing. And, you know, Coach Mark Budenholz was really cautious at the same time as well when Chris did come back to just manage mm. his minutes and come off the bench in that six-man role, you know, playing between 25 to 27 minutes. And Which I think is perfect. That's exactly what he yeah. needed
0: to be reintegrated. Like, we, we, you touched on it brilliantly. We saw what happened last year to the Bucks against the Celtics with no Chris Middleton. It still went to seven, but you got the feeling that, He's not quite a 50-40-90 student. I've got his averages in front of me. It's 45% from the floor, 38.9 from three, 88 from the line. But on 15 shots a game, career average or 13.5, my apologies. That's an incredibly valuable player. It's a player who's been passing more as his career averages go on. I mean, the year before last, career high, 5.4 assists per game. He's just so integral to that team. And with him back at healthy, which is the key word, I don't see anyone coming out of the East over them. I mean, Julian. I know you wanted to talk about the Warriors this week as well, but what are your thoughts on the Bucks? Tom, jump in as well. The way they're playing, the way Chris Middleton's been ramping up with a healthy Brook Lopez, with Drew Holiday just being a menace. Can you see anyone coming out of the East?
2: I, I cannot at the moment. Uh, other than the Bucks, they look so strong, and I think we touched upon it last week. Their death. Um, their second lineup is. You know, if you also to speak about the the sixth to tenth best players in the team, you're talking about guys like Bobby Portis, Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, Pat Connaughton, Grayson Allen,
0: and vets. it's just so they're vets. They're not young guys. They're not rookies. These are guys that know what they're doing.
2: That's right. That's the, you can you can make a case that that lineup there could probably beat the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> starting five. So, um, and and they time it so well with their rotations that at any given point you've got at least two stars on, and plus potentially we, we might talk about this later the potential best defensive player of the year so they're doing it on both ends and then on top of that drew holiday is a proven defensive player of the year as well so um personally the way they're going i cannot see anyone um stopping them tom anything to touch on the
3: thing about the box is they just tick all the boxes they've Mm -hmm. got experience they've got stars across the board they have lineup flexibility they've got depth if they miss a player or two in a series they've got people who can cover and step in and the reality is they've got three guys who are all capable of closing. I mean, you're going to want the ball in Giannis's hands, but if he's not having a great game or if the defensive schemes against him are shutting him down, they can throw it to Middleton. He's He closed in the finals pretty well as well. And then also, Drew Holiday this year, when Middleton hasn't been there and when Giannis has missed back-to-backs or through injury, he's closed out games himself. There's a fourth and-
0: one. You could just throw it to Brook Lupo's down at the post or at the top of
3: the arc too. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's having his career here as well. Exactly. And I think maybe it's just, you know, the Celtics started the season really well and everyone was on them and thought no one could beat them. But I think this is Milwaukee just peaking at the right time and mm. they're now hitting their strides and there's 12 games left in the season and then they're just going to come and hit the playoffs running.
0: We're going to talk about um, our year award predictions and MVP later. For my mind, I don't know how Embiid and the 76ers beat the Bucs. I would love to watch a seven-game series depending how that shakes out there. Um they both deserve it. Both those teams have been playing very well. Bucks for strong for a couple of years, but I don't know if I can see Embiid in the 76ers with a really good Harden. We should talk about Harden as well, um, beating the Bucks in a seven game series. Julian, uh, so talk to me about the Warriors this week.
2: Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, just following the game that just um, played and they lost against the Grizzlies, that's now 11 games in a row they've lost on the road. Um, and I think one of the stories that came out throughout the week was that. Kerr sort of hinted that Wiggins probably won't be returning this season or it's likely that he might not due to personal reasons so not sure exactly what's going on um but it looks like he won't be returning and what does that mean for the Warriors moving forward well I'm not exactly sure but it doesn't sound good and they have plummeted in the the power rankings and it looks like their odds of winning the championship are just declining each day um and I uh, you know, undoubtedly they've had a lot of injuries and they haven't had a consistent team throughout the year, but um, I don't know where they find their spark from. And especially Wiggins, who was arguably their second best player in the playoffs last year. Um, he's a big loss on both ends. Um, but just touching on them, I, I actually noticed something um, just doing stats and and props and noticed that the Warriors, they have a problem handling centers, I think, mm. or big men. Um, Probably because you know Looney doesn't necessarily get a great deal of minutes, and he's not really as as good as the other centers in the league. But I think when we're talking about teams that have players like Sabonis, Giannis, Embiid, how do the Warriors defend players like that without Wiggins? And you think about their teams in terms their team in terms of defense. I mean, they're using Devin Chenzo at the moment, who's six foot four, compared to Wiggins, who is six foot eight with a a big wingspan. But um, just some stats I, I looked up before: Sabonis against the Warriors had twenty six points and twenty two rebounds. When the Sixers played the Warriors, Joel Embiid had 34 points. Pretty normal for him. Giannis <laughs> had 30 points. Normal for him. Bam Adebayo had 19 points. And then this is the, the weird one. Naz Reed, who averages 10 points, had 30 points against the Warriors. So <laughs> if that's not an indicator enough that they have a problem handling the big man, I don't know how they possibly take players like Lopez, Giannis, Embiid, and Sabonis in the playoffs. Yeah, the uh, Warriors. one more thing I want Sorry, to touch ahead. on,
1: Alex, as well. Sorry about what Julie mentioned about Golden State being really undersized at the center position, especially with Kevon Looney. So put it this way, if they play Phoenix, say, in a 4-5 matchup as well, they're going to have to be dealing with DeAndre Ayton, who's such a terrific low post player. And, you know, when he gets those amount of touches in the paint, he's super efficient with the hook shot and mid-range jump shot as well where, you know, Looney can defend him well, say if that situation does eventuate. But then Golden State – so not Golden State – Phoenix also can play Bismack Biombo at the best of times at center One. Well. he, you know, provides that real energy spark, which we saw at the Raptors, I think, back in the 2015-16 season. Jock Landau as well can, you know, mm. provide some, you know, handy minutes as well at the five spot. So that's just sort of a glimpse in the way for a potential 4-5 matchup between Phoenix and Golden State if that does eventuate, or even against Memphis if you know, Stephen Adams does, you know, return healthy from that PCL injury because he's still going to be another two, three weeks away. And they've also, you know, Xavier Tillman's also another one too, even though he's probably just a tad undersized for the center position. But he's also a real, you know, presence as well with his production too, especially in the paint. So that's going to be, yeah, really intriguing to see what happens especially in those matchups come if Golden State do finish sixth or if they do finish seventh and if they play either Memphis or Sacramento in the first round maybe not so Dallas anyway because Dallas's centers you know they aren't you know Christian Woods is a very athletic guy but he's not a great defender so they don't really have to worry about that that stage although they do play the Mavericks to conclude that five-game road trip
0: let's stay on the Warriors for a moment so we're recording uh, right at the end of the uh, Celtics Jazz game, uh, March 18th in the NBA. Tom, I don't know if you saw what the score was at the end. I've just missed that last minute, so I don't know who how you came through. Yeah, what- no, uh, the Jazz won by a point,
3: and oh. uh, a curious uh, after-timeout play was drawn up for Grant Williams, of all people, to go uh, in the low post and win it, and uh, yeah, as as expected, didn't even catch the rim. So.
0: <laughs> Oh, geez, that's the fun part about recording when there's a game on. You can just have a look at the TV (laughs) in the corner and maybe we talk about it. But staying on the Warriors, so um, they're still 500, 36 and 36 in the West. Mm -hmm. They're 7 and 29 on the road. They haven't won on the road since January this year. It's the 18th of March uh, in the NBA. So almost two months without winning a game on the road. And they are one of the most confusing teams, maybe the most confusing defending champion of all time. We touched at the, at the top of the pod about Steph Curry going for 50. We had Clay start off really slow at the start of this year and come back into form. And you just get the feeling that they could maybe turn it on on a good day, maybe a couple good days. But do they have it in a seven-game series? I mean, they're sitting in the play-in at the moment in the seven spot. So let's talk about the seventh spot. Let's say they play the Lakers. Would the Lakers fear Golden State? A healthy Lakers team with AD, with LeBron back, healthy probably being the key word.
1: No, oh. I don't think so, Alex, because they won the season series, the Lakers over Golden State 3-1, and you consider what the Lakers have in terms of their big men as well, if Golden State do attack the paint with Davis, Jad Vanderbilt, Winnie and Gabriel gave them some really good minutes against Dallas last night as well, and he can also play a pretty handy role there too. And also, I think the guards, you know, Austin Reeves, you know, coming back in the last handful of games as well, he's such a real energy spark plug off the bench as well. And he, you know, he's more than up to the task of guarding Curry or Thompson on any given day. Mm. And we saw, I think, a couple of years ago during that playing game as well between the Lakers and Golden State, we saw, of course, Golden State were up by about you know, 15 or 20 by memory at one point, And the Lakers fought back. And of course, LeBron hit that long three with about 58 seconds left on the clock to basically, I think, I still put the Lakers by, in front by three by memory. So, yeah, if you're looking at that in terms of, you know, if that was a plain preview hypothetical, then they wouldn't fear them because they're starting to just get clicking the right time, although they're now three games under 500. So, I, I agree. Itself, I think it would be good.
0: I agree. What do you think about the Thunder? So we talked about, you know, the Warriors, a bit of a sieve at the center and the center's coming through. The Thunder and the Timberwolves are currently the other two teams in the, play- in the play-in, excuse me. The Timberwolves theoretically have Carl Anthony Towns returning somewhat soon. He's been out almost three months, I think, now with a-, a calf strain that's kind of setting back. What about the Thunder? Do you think the Thunder feel the Warriors? It's a bit of a tough one to throw on with no prep. And the yeah. Thunder have been one of... The most interesting teams for me to watch this year, I mean, we all know the damage. Shea Gildas-Alexander has been doing left, right, and center. Um, J-Dub or J-Will, whichever one is the Jalen Williams, which is coming out of his shell for this rookie season. I can't recall which J-Dub it is. Playing really well, averaging almost 20 in the last 30 days. Uh, Josh Giddy as well, tall point guard You can see over people. That's an interesting matchup. Um, and again, with Cat back, do you think the Timberwolves really fear the Warriors- They're wounded. I I don't want to harp on and on about something we haven't really prepped for or maybe haven't understood a lot because the Warriors have been so confusing, but it's a really dangerous spot there. Um, One of the things that I wanted to talk about this week as well is the Dallas Mavericks want a spot above the Warriors currently holding on to sixth. They've kind of failed upwards in the last week, but the Mavs aren't, they don't have a winning record over the last 10 games holding on to sixth. uh, Luka's still not playing, even though Kyrie Irving's returned to the lineup. What do you think or do you think at all the Dallas Mavericks have a chance to make the finals this year? We'll start Tom.
3: You have to give them some sort of a chance just because this west is so wide open, but they're definitely further. They're not they're not at the top of the pecking order in my opinion. And you know, Luca and Kyrie have had no real game time together. I think they've played six or seven um and you just don't know what you're going to get from Curry on a given night. One minute he might be scoring you close to 40. Next minute he might be 15. Very inefficient. Just completely checked out. And defensively, they're backcourt. I don't, don't see them being able to do a lot of uh, getting a lot of stops down the stretch, especially in a half-court sort of defensive setting. Um, but, look, last year I didn't think they'd even get close to the conference finals, and Luca just willed his way in that seven-game series against the Suns. So I'm never going
0: to write him out, that's for sure. Four and six they are in the last 10 games. Julian, do you think Dallas have a chance of making the finals?
2: It's kind of similar to the Warriors in terms of if if Curry and Thompson are hot, it's kind of like if if Doncic and and Irving are efficient from the court as Tom touched on. um, You know, that can prove vital to beat any team. But do they have the tools um, to, to compete with the real top teams? Like we talk about the Bucks having all the tools defensively and their depth. I don't think they do.
0: Yuri, give me your 10-second yeah. pitch if Dallas can make the finals.
1: Yeah, I don't think so, Alex. I think, you know, losing, of course, Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, part of that trade as well. I think the defensive identity that Dallas had last season under Coach Kidd was, you know, one of the top in the league. But I think he mentioned it to Dallas Morning Morning News, I say, as well, a month or two ago about, you know, the defensive identity everyone's going to have to buy into, you know, generate stops regularly and, you know, basically – get, you know, those wins that are so needed right now. I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for the Mavericks going forward is, you know, can they generate enough stops, especially Reggie Block, you know, is the outstanding premier defender. Getting Maxi Kleber back, who's arguably one of Dallas's best, you know, switching big defenders is also a major asset moving forward. But again, those lingering, hovering, you know, hovering, you know, hot topic about, you know, whether – They've got enough in terms of, you know, defensive identities going to be something that's going to be really come into question. Although, you know, offensively with Doncic and Irving, they're going to put up, you know, combined 65, 70 points per night. Christian Wilkin can you know go for a double double. And even, you know, if Reggie Bullock catches fire, we saw during one of the games against Phoenix in the Western Conference semifinals finals where he hit, I think, about eight, three pointers. So again, it's there offensively, but those Little you know, incremental sides of the defense are going to be the ones that are going to really see whether the Mavericks do go past the first round and perhaps go on that run as they did last season all the way through to the Western Conference Finals.
0: Mm. Quickly, we'll touch on Denver as well. If you weren't watching Denver now, one win, five losses in their last six games, um, that one win coming against Detroit, so the worst team in the league. Again, apologies to Jack Brophy. Um, if you are unfamiliar, Denver is still a few games up on the second seed in the West, maybe four and a half games uh, at the conclusion of today's play. So not really at a risk of slipping to second unless this really stretches. Um, during this last couple of weeks, Jokic has been um, below average, might be a polite thing to say on defense. A lot of the time last week we talked um, the Raptors targeted him in the clutch. I think it was OKC off memory as well that really went at him late. Um, had been better this week. So I watched a couple of those Nuggets games and he played more solid defense. Um, and it still influences a lot of plays, but can turn into a sieve still. Jamal Murray also hasn't been particularly playing well this year, although today I think he did have a game-high 25. Maybe I've got that slightly wrong. Um, anyone got some quick thoughts on the Denver Nuggets?
1: Yeah, interesting one. Hey, Alex, it's one and 5 now, last six, and sitting 47-24 overall. I think we spoke about last week about Denver in terms of their defense, and Mike Malone has you know really preached it since his first season back in 2015 16, and they've made you know steady improvements to become a better defensive team. Although you know not in the top five, they've sort of hovered around you know 15th to 16th in the league for the last few seasons. But in terms of basically trying to recapture you know the defensive identity, which you know, did go missing at times during the first round against Golden State and something they actually did really well in game five for about the first, well, basically 40 minutes until, you know, Steph Curry took over late and eliminated the Nuggets' playoff hopes. So I think alone that's going to be another part where we spoke about too with cantavius Coldwell Pope, Bruce Brown's additions as well to really sort of cover, you know, Jokic's weaknesses as well because teams now try and switch to make sure that you know, their worst defender doesn't get blown by that easily, say on the perimeter or down low. And that's where it becomes really important sometimes that switchability where if they if ne- if Denver, shall I say, want to use Bruce Brown down in the low block to say guard DeAndre Ayton, for example, they can because he's during his time in the Brooklyn Nets, he basically played all five positions, even the super small five ball, which former coach Steve Nash used. So those things can cover for Jokic's weakness as well. And same with Michael Porter Jr. too, mm. who's, you know, not renowned for being a great defender, but has the attributes to become one, to be able to cover that side. Say, for example, if they do play or well, top first, say the Lakers, for example, would we'll just take that as a hypothetical one v eight. And if LeBron does come back from that foot injury, what they can do instead, they can use Contavius Caldwell Pope, switch him mm. to three, play him on LeBron on that switch. And Porter Jr. only has to, you know, contend with, say, so DeAndre Russell is a very, you know, good offensive player too, but it's less, you know, defensive guarding pressure on him to, for that assignment alone and leave it to KCP, you know, who's been well-renowned for his defensive tendencies for, you know, since Since he first came to the league in 2013 14,
0: yeah, we talked last week about KCP and how important he might be in the postseason for Denver. Yuri, you you touched on almost everything there. Tom or Julian, do you have anything else you want to talk about the Nuggets? Have you been watching Michael Porter Jr. play? I see a shake of the head from Julian.
2: I I personally haven't watched a lot of Nuggets games this week because I tend to get the afternoon games and I'm usually uh, more uh, open to the earlier games. But um, yeah, we'd love that. I appreciate all the insights from Yuri there, Tom.
3: Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of the Nuggets this week, but uh they're going against the Raptors. I, I generally thought the score bug was broken because I think the Raptors had about 70 points in uh, the second quarter. Yeah. And, you know, teams are now just sort of going, let's target Jokic on defense and see what happens. And it's, you know, gotten great results for their opponents. Uh And so that's, to me, that's a big concern in a seven-game series when coaches can do nothing but sit there and scheme against certain players. You know, he's obviously not going to be played off the floor, but... How big of an impact can he have on that defensive end without completely killing the team?
0: Yeah, the Raptors had 49 points in the first quarter, which is their Jeez. franchise record. Um, they played the Nuggets earlier this week. Now, like Michael Porter Jr. has been their second best player all year um, I can't remember the username for this. I should have prepped, but there's a guy on TikTok who has all the, the highlights of Michael Porter Jr. getting the ball and he never passes it. And it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So if you see that, uh, shout that guy out. It's just <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. getting up, rising up, sinking it like he just doesn't pass. Uh, but they kind of need that at the moment. Uh, we might take a break and we'll come back in a sec. All right, back here with Tom, Yuri, and Julian. Um, we are going to talk about our predictions for the major awards. Uh, most teams have 11, 12 games left, so three, three and a half weeks left in the league. Um, we've got MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved, the Clutch Player of the Year, which is a new award. And if either of you care, uh, we can have a vote on the coach executive of the league. MVP, I have a feeling all four of us might have the same two at the top. Uh, Tom, you're brand new to the show today. I'll start with you. Who's your pick for MVP?
3: So as of now, I have got Embiid. I was sticking to Jokic for the previous three, four weeks, but I think now with this Denver slide and the fact that, you know, Philly's now won eight in a row and Embiid is just destroying teams in any way he wants and he's basically unstoppable. Um, and also the biggest, uh, the biggest fault of Embiid's game for the last two seasons when he finished second to Jokic was that he didn't play enough games and he missed them through injury. So far this season, he's played 57 out of 70 games. Uh, He's been pretty healthy um, and he's shooting 54% from the field and he's averaging 11.8 free throws a game, which people have knocked him for. But the reality is, they throw it to the post and they have to foul him because he's just going to score if you don't. So, you know, sure, he's getting a lot of points through the free throws. But when that's the way the teams are electing to defend him, it's not his fault. And also, historically, big men, not great free throw shooters, but it'd be, he's, knocks him down confidently. I mean, he takes the technical free throws if, you know, he's in that situation. So you can't fault him for that at all, which is why I just think, you know, he has probably overtaken Jokic, especially now that Jokic's uh, defensive why uh, defensive flaws has been put on display this last week, whereas Embiid had four blocks against Cleveland and is basically holding the, holding the fort down on that end.
0: Yeah, still leads the league with 33.5 points per game, which is incredible. Yuri, who's your MVP pick?
1: Yeah, I also have to agree, too, in terms of Embiid just taking over Jokic, especially with Denver's recent slide as well. And that's no, you know, backward, you know, this towards Jokic because of his passing abilities, of course, averaging 9.9 assists per game, his rebounding in points, you know, within basically 33.9 minutes of play. What Embiid has done all season, though, I was looking through his numbers this morning, Alex, and. There's only been two games where he's had under 20 points and one of them was against OKC in the win on December 31. The other one was in a very narrow two-point loss to Milwaukee on October 20, by memory, 90 to 88, where he was held to about 6 of 21 from the field for 15 points. Apart from that, his whole numbers right throughout the months of November, December, January, February have been over 30 a game and I think this month alone he's averaging 36.8 points per game and the hardest part... For teams to really scout is basically, you know, the mid range jumper, which he perfects so well from, you know, that block, say, between the paint and also from about 15 to 16 feet, especially with him and Harden's pick and roll really causing, you know, a lot of problems for the opposition to guard with. Because, of course, with James going downhill, it's very hard to stop. But also, Embiid's passing as well. Alex is another real strong attribute that he's. You know, developed over the seasons. He's averaging about 4.5 assists per game and, of course, playing very heavy minutes as well, averaging about 36 minutes per game as well with Harden averaging about 36.8 as Coach Doc Rivers likes to do with basically his entire starting five, played him over 30 minutes per night. So, again, he's super, super hard to guard alone and also the three-point shot which he's, you know, gradually developed over the seasons has become another real asset that he's you know really hurting teams with and it's just really hard to sort of pick your poison if you're the opposition center to go where do we guard him from because I think Brooke had those problems as well the best of times when we've played Philadelphia this season trying to guard him even though Brooke's so good at you know not losing his you no know, not jumping on his feet to a pump fake where he just puts his arms up to guard Embiid and we saw of course how many times did Embiid you know stick those elbow jumpers over Brooke and Brook was you know playing per- perfect defense. So those things alone, is just so hard to contain him and to be able to really sort of put together a scouting report where we go, okay, can we actually double team in those situations? Because, of course, we've hardened D'Anthony, Melton, Tyrese Maxey being very effective three-point shooters, George Niang as well. That's the hard part. And I think when you look at what Philly have done, especially this current eight-game winning streak, which they're basically only, what, I think, I think by memory now they're second in the Eastern Conference if I'm not mistaken. So that's where you really put it all in together and especially having you know, overcome those injuries and those foot injuries early in his career to become the absolute brute force that he is even though you know, he's a real sort of larrikin in a real jovial guy that doesn't take himself too seriously. He's just, when it comes to game time, he just goes to another level. He turns base into beast mode, which is really hard to contain. This will
0: give some insight into Yuri's encyclopedia brain. Um, it must be connected to the internet because the 76ers were third in the East until the end of that Celtics jazz game just now. Um, I don't know if you've looked that up live, but that's incredible if you're straight plugged in. So the 76ers now um, second in the East just by Pip, uh, nine and one in their last two games. Julian, MVP picks...
2: Yep. I'm going to agree with the boys there, Embiid. Uh, And it's funny, both of them, um, Embiid and Jokic are having such similar seasons in many ways. If you look at their stats, you can make a case that Jokic is averaging more assists, but then you look at Embiid averaging more points. And then, um, you know, Jokic averaging 0.7 blocks compared to Embiid's 1.7. So, and and a lot of Philly's game, it runs through Harden in terms of the, the passing and the playmaking, but, you know, the stats of Embiid without Harden in the team, he's averaging close to about 6.5 6.5 assists so his numbers actually go up quite substantially when Harden's not in the team so um, yeah I, I personally think from watching the game against the Cavs I had no doubt that Embiid is a true reflection of everything you want in an MVP and I think um, now that they've moved ahead of the Nuggets in terms of the number of wins I think if they keep that up he's definitely um, got that award
0: so my MVP pick is Embiid um, i played devil's advocate in the moment for Giannis as well but You've got to be something quite special when you play for the 76ers and break franchise records uh, because Wilt Chamberlain, excuse me, Wilt Chamberlain used to play a lot of games for Philadelphia. um, And Embiid has broken two franchise records this week. One was uh, the most 25 plus point games in a row, shooting more than 50% from the floor. I extended that today. And then again today, the ninth consecutive 30 plus point game for Philly. Um, So anytime you break a Wilt record, that's always special. And he's broken two this week. Playing devil's advocate for Giannis and the Kumpo, so um, Embiid's played 56 games. Giannis 55. Embiid averages 33 and a half points. Giannis 31. Embiid's got a full block more than Giannis, 1.7 to 0.8. Giannis has an extra 1.5 assists per game. Uh, Giannis also has two extra rebounds a game. But it's still Embiid, isn't it? I I, I you don't bother, can
2: you? There's, there's, what more could he do? <laughs>
0: Essentially <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I I'm kind of guilty because every year I don't I'm not much of a gambling man, but every year I just put in my MVP, my defensive player of the year, all that kind of thing. And I've been putting in <laughs> Embiid for the last five years and it hasn't happened. So I pivoted this year to Giannis. <laughs> oh no. But I still want Embiid to win MVP. Um, I've watched a lot of Bucks games and a lot of Philly games in the last month or so. Um I don't know how you pick anyone else but Embiid. All right, moving on. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Tom, do you want to get us started? Yeah, so
3: basically for all the reasons that we uh, listed at the top of the show, I'm going with Brook Lopez. Um, I mean, averaging 2.5 blocks per game. I mean, the next the next uh, favorite for the award and the betting odds is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. But Jaron Jackson Jr. missed a big chunk at the start of the year. Um, and so his blocks per game stats are about a little bit more inflated than Lopez, who has played pretty much every game this year. Um, and, you know, Lopez is just an elite rim protector. And he's also great on the perimeter. Like, when he gets switched onto a, a guard, you're not exactly sweating if you're a Bucks fan. Whereas some other big men, if they get switched onto a guard, it's game over. Um, and so, really, he can't do any more for this defensive uh, to win this award. Yuri, who have you got for the
0: DPOI?
1: Yeah, I have to agree with Thomas as well, Alex. You know, Brooke Lopez too. And we spoke about last week about. His progression as a defender from, you know, being a real sort of timid center where teams, you know, would, you know, bully him at the best of times and his physicality at times was, you know, questioned. But I think since, you know, he's come to Milwaukee since the 2018 19 season, his, his production and, you know, in terms of, you know, his defensive presence alone and be able to alter shots from opposition floaters alone to jump shots really sort of. Progressively has become a real staple to how the Bucks also want to use their transition game too. And Brooke, you know, right his career has been a tremendous shot blocker right from his first season back in 2008. To really again take those next steps, he's not you know a great rebounder. We've seen that right his career, and that's where his tips to Giannis, where Giannis will start the transition, is the most apparent of what the Bucks really want to want to do. Should I say to get their fast game? last break game going and really get those easy points in transition where Giannis will either drive to a rim or kick it out to, say, a corner, Chris Middleton, Grayson Allen, or Pat Connaughton for a three. So those things alone where Brook is such a real staple in that area is such a real apparent importance to Milwaukee, but also his minutes per game, I think he's averaging the most since his final season in Brooklyn as well in 2016-17, about 31 a game. So those numbers, I don't think we really expected this season that Brook would be averaging, you know, 30 to 31 minutes per game because the first couple of seasons in Milwaukee was averaging about 27 to 28 minutes. So the significant importance alone is something that's, you know, come to playoffs as well, it's going to be a real, you know, big barometer for the Bucs moving forward. And the other thing as well, with Brook as well, having Bobby Portis playing alongside the 4-5 position, which we saw during the 2021 playoffs against Atlanta, where, of course, Giannis went down, which we fear, fairly initially feared that, you know, Giannis had done his ACL. So those combinations where Coach Bar can really utilize as something that's going to be, you know, yeah, it's going to be a major asset moving forward and something, you know, Brook for, you know, the last five, six seasons can really, you know, be proud of himself for, you know, basically putting himself in contention where I think most thought, you know, he was already, you know, a tremendous shot blocker, but trying to take those next steps as a defender was going to be the next question in line, which he's, you know, thoroughly answered.
0: Julian, differing point. No, I
2: agree, Brooke Lopez. A little side point. Last week we made fun of Robin Lopez for being the WWE out of the two brothers. And then I think two days after that, Brooke Lopez gets in a fight with Trey Lars and gets ejected. So I don't know what sort of black magic that we were doing in our podcast last week, but I'm keen to know which player we get ejected next week.
0: Yeah, what should we do? I'll have a thing in the break and we'll try and put a a hex (laughs) on somebody. Um, Look, I don't have Brooke Lopez for mine. I'll be the differing opinion. Um, look, I really thought about giving it to Joel Embiid as well. I've watched a lot of Philly games, and he just impacts the defense incredibly. Like, players are scared to dribble near him. Um, my pick at the moment is Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, it might be just because I think the Bucks have so many great defenders. The system impacts Brook Lopez a little bit as well. Um, but you could throw out Giannis' an incredible defender as well. I'm not going to rationalize it any more than that. It's a gut feeling. I should probably look into the stats a bit more before I have a real vote. But Jaron Jackson Jr., for me, is my defensive player of the year. Julian, sixth man of the year. Who have you got penciled in? Well, like you, I did place a little bet at the start of the year. And I had it at 15 to
2: 1, which was Malcolm Brogdon for yes. six man of the year. Yes. And I had a feeling because I knew he wouldn't be in the starting lineup with that Celtics lineup. But I knew he's, he's a quality player. And if he, if he can just stay injury free, he always has an impact. And I think if you look at the Celtics' record and what he brings off the bench, compared to the other candidates which are hovering around the six men of the year, originally it was Westbrook and then he we we know what happened there. So I think, um yeah, given the Celtics' record and what Brogdon brings, it has
0: to be him. So Brogdon averaging 14.7 points a game in 25 minutes off the bench, four rebounds, three and a half assists. Uh, almost shoots 50-40-90 off the bench as well, which is incredible. 48.5 from the floor, 45.7 from three on four and a half attempts a game, which is incredible. And just a bit under 90 at 87.7 free throw. Yuri, who have you got?
1: I've got Bobby Portis Jr. Alex is my sixth man of the year. We've seen, of course, the last, you know, since he's come to the Bucks during the summer of 2020, and basically his career was sort of in a way, delicately poised at that point. We didn't know exactly what we were going to get out of Bobby in terms of, you know, the best production. We'd seen it, you know, during stages at his time with the Chicago Bulls mainly. But for him to really grasp that sixth-man role and really, you know, embrace the city of Milwaukee, I think the fans sort of really have been dear to him in terms of his infectious enthusiasm, energy, passion for the game. And it almost is similar to, I go back a while ago in terms of the Milwaukee Bucks history, and there's also another name which, you know, it'll come to mind for me sooner than later. He had a real, you know, real aura about him in terms of his energy is Darvin Ham now the coach at LA Lakers. Darvin's energy during that George Carley or something which was highly unmatched and one that really sort of brought the Bucks fans to light. And the same thing with Bobby as well, especially during that 2021 playoff series where he was just phenomenal. And especially when Brooke went down, we spoke about, two, three minutes ago, him to come into the starting lineup with Brooke Lopez and really change the outcome of that series against Atlanta in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And even during when Brooke missed basically well, from opening night last season against the Brooklyn Nets all the way through to mid-March, Bobby took that starting lineup and basically just took it with both hands and was putting up double-doubles pretty much every night to really becoming, you know, that real focal point alone or even like a third scoring option, fourth scoring option, which you know, at times he can be as well. So the other real sort of important part as well, I think with Portis's game too, is, you know, his passing's effective as well, but also whenever you need to throw the ball down to him in the low block of, say, Drew or Chris's shots aren't falling, and he has that move where he spins a little bit to the baseline, but also tries and comes back and spins around again for that turnaround baseline jump shot, which is something he's really perfected during the course of his career. So... That itself, I think, you know, he's really, you know, taking those next steps as well. And also, yeah, the, the pairing as well. I want to touch on one more thing as well, Alex, with Giannis, Bobby, and Brooke as well. We've tried it, you know, on a few occasions this season, and it's super worked because Giannis basically started his career as a small forward and then switched <clears> to a power forward. And at times, play, you know, the odd minutes at center. But having that big three lineup, and especially when it comes to, you know, playoff series as well, teams going to be pretty highly fearing of that too. So, Again, yes, Bobby has missed time with, you know, the MCL sprain. I think he was out for a couple of weeks just before the All-Star break. But I think you can't take that out of consideration for why he should win sixth man of the year this year.
0: No, he's still 59 games he's played this year. So Bobby Portis averages 13.8 off the bench, 26 minutes a game, which is fairly reasonable, but shoots more than 50% from the floor on um, 11 attempts a game. So he's been, as you said, just enormous for Milwaukee. Tom, have you got someone different or one of our two picks?
3: No, so I'm going with Malcolm Brogdon as well. Uh, basically, when the Celtics went and traded for him, this was the role that he was designed to play, which is six-man, come off the bench, be an efficient scorer, which he has been for his whole career, and basically run that second unit, which it come, you know, in the finals last year, they basically had Peyton Pritchard running the point in the second unit, and he, you know, not, to, not that he was expected to do much, but he just didn't live up to anything at all in that finals against the Warriors, whereas Brogdon has uh, steadied the ship, And I mean, at the moment, Emmanuel quickly has sort of crept up on him and I don't fully understand why, because he's been starting games in the absence of Brunson and been playing more minutes. And it was that nationally televised game against the Celtics where he really took that step up in the betting odds, but he played like 40 something minutes because it was double overtime. And when you look at their stats, I mean, quickly averages more minutes. uh, He's way less efficient and he um, scores less points, averages less rebounds, and assists. So I don't know how he could uh, overtake Brogdon.
0: Yeah, so for those who couldn't tell by my um, joyous exclamation, I also picked Malcolm Brogdon as well, and I also had a sneaky bet on him at the start of the season to win six (laughs) man of the year. Uh, We'll get through the rest of this really quickly. Uh, Julian's got to go to the Saints game. Uh, Who are they playing, Julian? (laughs) Uh, Frio at Marvel. Frio, okay. I'll claim Frio as my team. Well, I've been to Frio <laughs> a couple of times, but um, not an AFL man myself. So, most improved. Has anyone got anyone other than Larry Mark? Um, anyone got anyone other than Laurie Markinen? Shakes, shakes, shakes. Moving on. Clutch player of the year, brand new award. Anyone got anyone other than De'Aaron Fox? Shakes, heads, shakes, heads. Uh, is giving me a no. So, De'Aaron Fox leads the league in clutch time minutes. Um, I've just got this little handy stat here because uh, I found this at the end of the Kings versus Bulls game. So this stat uh, was from the end of the Kings versus Bulls game on March 15th. So it may have changed slightly, but De'Aaron Fox leads the league with points in the paint. uh, Sorry, with points in the clutch this year with 180. The next closest player is DeMar DeRozan at 138, and everyone is much, much lower than those two. So I don't think, um, I think it's his, no one's going to say otherwise. Any thoughts?
1: Oh yeah, Alex, I think I did have a look as well down that graph chart. And I think Jason Tatum is only, I think, ninety-six clutch points this season, which sort of is a little bit of a surprise in the way, considering he's averaging thirty point, you know, three points per game on like forty-five point eight percent field goal shooting and what eighty six point one percent from the charity stripe. That really did surprise me in the way that Tatum's not, you know, further up in terms of, you know, clutch points per game or clutch points altogether this season. So that's something, yeah, really took me by surprise. And I think one, probably just because, you know, at times Boston's had, you know, those blowouts as well where it sort of doesn't really coincide with, you know, Tatum's, you know, you know, points per game and production and all that. So again, yeah, real surprise.
0: Tom or Julian, do you have thoughts on either the coach of the year or executive of the year award?
3: Um yeah, I mean, I've I've got both. Um So, for coach, I've got Mike Brown. I think just coming into the season, I thought a good season for Sacramento would be making the play in. And now they sit in the two seed and could realistically take over Denver if uh, they keep losing games like they have been the previous week. Um, And, you know, they've been, you know, Fox has been the best clutch player, but they've also been one of the better clutch teams. And they've been in a lot of clutch situations. And, you know, his after timeout plays seem to consistently work and, you know, Sometimes it's just luck, but sometimes when it keeps happening, you just have to say maybe the coach knows exactly what he's doing with his team. So I don't really see how anyone can go past him for coach of the year. Um, and then for executive of the year, I've gone with Brad Stevens because um, I think this award is more of a body of work rather than one sort of off-season sort of work. Yeah, it so does tend when to be. yeah, so when he lost to the Nets as the coach a couple seasons ago uh, in the playoffs his roster wasn't exactly in the best kind of shape when he took over from Danny Ainge. And so the core players that were there then that are still there now, so you've still got Marcus Smart, Rob Williams, Tatum, Brown, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Luke Cornett. But since he's taken over, he's transformed Carson Edwards, Kemba Walker, Romeo Langford, Tristan Thompson, Jabari Parker, Aaron Naismith, Semi Ojeleye, Tremont Waters, Evan Fournier, and Taco Fall into Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Al Horford, Sam Hauser, Mike Muscala, Blake Griffin, and... Gallinari had he been healthy which he's turned a bunch of basically scraps into gold which you rarely see happen uh, especially in a team that had already you know established its star players it's pretty hard to trade your bottom feeder players for genuine role players but he has and he's turned them
0: into arguably the deepest team in the league I wholeheartedly agree but shout out Aaron Naismith um led the league led the Pacers today with 25 against the 76 has <laughs> been playing rather well um, look, I also had Mike Brown for the Kings. Um, you go from a franchise who have the largest active drought in professional sports history for missing the playoffs to potentially a one seed. Um, he'll get my vote. Uh, Julian or Yuri, anything? Or will we let Julian get to the foot?
2: No, I, no I, I actually completely agree with both of you.
1: Yeah, same as well. What the job Mike Brown has done this season's just absolutely been incredible. And he's deserved his opportunity yet again, considering while well, he was six seasons as a lead assistant to Steve Kirk, Golden State. And for him to get that opportunity again in the coaching ranks is something he really deserves because we think about a decade ago when he was in charge of the Lakers during the 2012-13 season. They had a horrible preseason, which they went 0-8 mm. and they started 1-4. and And basically the Lakers were going basically fight him because the Princeton offense did work and it's just like how can you give up on a coach who's been so renowned and had you know really good success with the Cleveland Cavaliers during you know the mid to late 2000s just to let him go based on five games solely when he had Steve Nash who went down against Portland Kobe you know Metawell world piece Paul Gasol Dwight Howard basically you know Hall of Fame starting five and to give up on coach Brown that easily and basically we know of course what happened when Mike D'Antoni took over it was just the wrong you know coaching selection for such a veteran group which wasn't a real athletic team but for Mike Brown to you know have his you know imprint now on a team which is super athletic we can go through a list of names again but we'll be here for the next hour or two that's something where he's absolutely flicked the switch and it's almost again the kings of the early 2000s yet again Alex and something that the real atmosphere which you saw at Arco Arena really being brought back to life at the Golden 1 Centre again so full full kudos to Mike Brown and you know he thoroughly deserves his coach of the year award
0: Julian have you got time to stick around for Alex's secret segment or is this where we part ways well, I've today always, I've always got time for that segment Alex alright well we'll skip a break and we'll, uh, we'll jump straight into <laughs> Alex's secret segment Secret with an eye too. So uh, look, I'll, I'll pop in some music over the top of this. Tom, um, I just prepare a dumb segment every week uh, with, I don't tell you what's happening. It could be a quiz. Last week we compared who was cuter, SGA versus Josh Giddy, um, and SGA won that surprisingly. Um, so look, Alex's secret segment this week is a quiz and I've got uh, three mini quizzes. And look, if you can't get the answers, um, that's all right. If you look like idiots, we'll cut it. So we'll keep our integrity intact. There are seven active players in the league this year, averaging 30 points. I want to see if you three can guess all of them. Embiid. Giannis.
3: <laughs> yep, yep. Hayden is just a tick over 30. Yep.
0: Luca. Uh, Luca's Luka. yep. there. Steph? Steph's at 30.1 and I heard Shea Gildas Alexander at 31.3. So there's one we haven't got. He scored 40 yesterday in a loss. Damien. Damien Lillard is the ah, of course, who's averaging oh, course. 30. Not too bad. I thought it was an easy one to, to give you in. Uh, this one's a bit worse. So uh, I have written a little quiz with a qualifier. Uh, I want you to find out who's the highest three-point percentage shooter this year on a minimum of two shots a game. Any thoughts? Is it, uh, uh, is it Al Horford? Al Horford is tied for third at forty-five point six percent on five shots a game. I think for the Celtics. Oh, is it? It's Luke Kennard, isn't it? The Nard dog, Luke Kennard. Yep, forty-six point three wow. on uh, just under four attempts per game. Anyone guess who's second? Uh, it's it, Brogdon as well, isn't it? No, he's he's oh. fourth. So the Celtics oh. have got third and fourth, which is kind of incredible. Um, second is a player who's kind of come into their own this year. In the East. Averaging forty six point one percent from three on two point four attempts per game. He plays for the Nets. Oh um, Watsanabe. Yeah, it's Utah Watanabe. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's killing it. I think Tom got all three. And look, um one last thing. Uh, this came from a Reddit user, Worst Steve, who had a post claiming Drew Holiday uh, became the all-time leading point guard for blocks with 453. Um, it's only kind of, and I say that because Drew had uh, three and a half seasons where he played as a shooting guard. So towards the end of his Pelicans tenure, and then back uh, his first season with the Bucks. So he's not technically the all-time leader in blocks uh, for point guard, but he's a point guard, so we'll claim it. Uh, do you know who the all-time point guard leader in blocks is? And I've got a couple of hints. I can go Kidd. through. No, oh, sorry, I should have said um, active player. He is actually he's the all-time leader for blocks. He is an active player. Jason Kidd is on the list at fourth, I think. So this is purely in games described as a point guard. John Wall. I had hints, and you just you went straight through it. It was yeah. Five-time All-Stars, a Slam Dunk Champion, 2014, first pick for Washington, had a wow. sick dance named after him when he was in college. It's John Wall with 439. Uh, there's two other active players in the top 10 for point guards. Do you want to take a stab, or do we just get rid of Alex's secret segment this week? One of them. I can't think of the other toe. One of them's not playing at the moment, but has been playing the first half of the season. Um, he's not on the team you'd know him for. And one of them just got traded. Uh, is Westbrook one of them? West, oh. Westbrook's fifth all-time, 339 blocks. And seventh all-time with 316. Uh, currently with Miami. Oh, Lowry? Big oh. booty, Kyle Lowry. Lowry, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So that was Alex's secret segment. Julian, we'll go. you can go to the footy, <laughs> <laughs> Love
2: it, love it. Awesome. Thanks, lad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Really good uh, insights from everyone.
0: No worries. We'll talk to you next week. Um, thanks for being on the show. We'll cut to a break. And when we come back, we can talk about some recaps. Sounds great.
2: Thanks, boys. Thanks, yeah. mate. Thanks. thanks. Cheers.
0: Alrighty. Back with us. It's me, Yuri, Tom. We're going to talk about just a handful of things from week 22 in the association we missed. Uh, Markel Foltz had 25 a couple of days ago and then a career high 28 points today, averaging um, in March, he's averaging 18.2 points, four and a half uh, rebounds, six assists, almost two steals, shooting 55% from the floor. So, uh, we always like a bit of a comeback story, mark our faults. That's great. Sabonis so averaging 20 points, 18 rebounds for the Kings in three games. Um, and Sham Charania from The Athletic reported that Lonzo Ball will undergo a third surgery on, I think it's that left knee Um, and they just can't believe he may be out all of next season as well. Um, It was reported that the surgery was a cartilage transfer. Um, If you haven't heard of that before, it's because it's a very rare procedure. And if you look in medicine journals like I have over the last day and a half, you don't get a lot of um, insight into rehabilitation in professional sports, uh, I think Kevin Pelton on the Zach Lowe podcast said there were two previous NBA players who had had a cartilage transfer, and they are people you and I wouldn't recognise. So I forgot the names. Any thoughts on Lonzo's surgery for the Bulls? It's
1: pretty hard just just hear that news again, Alex. Considering you know the impact he had during the first half of last season, where Chicago got out to that 27-13 start, and I think just after the All Star break, they were holding the East's best record, thirty nine and twenty one, and. Of course, his ability to play up-tempo and that is just, you know, that's what makes the game so easy and that's what made it really easy for Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan to get those easy shots, even try and feed the ball down low to Nick Vucevic at the best of times. And I think alone his jump shot as well is considerably improved as well. His three-point shooting is considerably improved because we saw at the start of his career he had a very weird jump shot and it's not as weird as, you know, Michael Kick Kid Gilchrist's jump shot where he basically tucked his elbow right towards his chin and let the ball go. But that's, again, it's just super hard to just comprehend, you know, his loss, especially defensively too, Alex. And this has actually been really surprising about Chicago this season. They've basically been the top 10 for defensive rating, and yet they're sitting 33-37 and on the season. Their offense has been, you know, right down snail's pace about 24, 25th in the league. So that's what when you... Bring Lonzo back, and of course,
0: he. If made we bring back Lonzo back, yeah, season.
1: yeah, that's that's what would make such a you know substantial difference. And bringing Pat Beverly, you know, he's a good point guard, but he's not the facilitator that Lonzo Ball is. So that's where I think, at the best of times, and especially in crunch time, where they miss that real important facilitator, which can, which who can actually see the entire floor and pick out spots where opposition defenses are super unaware of. So mm-hmm. that again, just It's just super hard to fathom the news that Lonzo's going to, you know, has already undergone another third surgery because it's been what January 14 last year since he last played an NBA game, and we know, of course, when he first came into league, and you know, the Lakers who they should drafted between the Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball and those, you know, hypes and everything else that went to it, but now to see, you know, his career and hopefully, you know, it's similar to what you know what Grant Hill went through, Alex. So remember the ankle injury late in the 99-2000 season and hurt it again game two against Miami and was basically cooked for the next four years, sadly, three surgeries in about four seasons and one which almost know cost him his life because there was an infection. So hopefully for, you know, Lonzo's rehabilitation and recovery that, you know, it all goes smoothly again because, you know, he's too talented of a point guard not to be out on the court.
0: Fingers crossed he is still only 25, but it is a bit sad to see D'Aaron Fox killing it at one end and you think, what could Lonzo be doing with healthy knees? Tom, uh, anything you want to touch on from this week that we missed? Faults, Savonis Lonzo, anything else?
3: Uh, no, no. I think that's all covered. Um, just, you know, same, same sort of thoughts on Lonzo. You just have to feel for him. And, yeah. you know, he, under the bright lights of LA, the reality is he didn't really hit his strides. But when he got traded away and he was sort of hidden away on the Pelicans and then the Bulls, He was improving each week. And um, what was really underrated about the Bulls last year is that backcourt defense when they had uh, Ball and Caruso was suffocating teams. And it's just so disappointing that, you know, Ball just hasn't been able to be healthy. And, you know, hopefully we'll see him on the court soon, but who knows?
0: Yeah. All right. So we'll uh, skip and move on to the Week 23 preview in the NBA. Um, Look, there's a couple, just two really things I want to talk about. The path for the Lakers, they get a lot of media attention, As of meeting today, they are 10th with the Utah Jazz and the Pelicans right behind them within half a game. Next week in week 23, they play Orlando, Phoenix, OKC, and the Bulls potentially three very winnable games, depending, depending how you feel on OKC. You, you think the Suns might put up a fight. But again, the Suns have looked up and down this season as well. Orlando have been playing really well. And look, I can't write off the Bulls. I came prepared to, to our meeting today and can't write them off. So this is a week where theoretically they should go 3-1 but could go 1-3. and three. Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, the Orlando one's going to be tricky, Alex. They've beat the Clippers early today as part of this Western trip. And... You know, right from the season when they're five and twenty now to a twenty nine and forty one record. We've seen, you know, you touched upon Markel Fultz, and that's just been, you know, incredible to see, you know, his jump shot where basically he had to have a couple of shoulder operations just to fix his shooting mechanics alone to where now he's, you know, taking jump shots with regularity of ease and to be able to, you know, not have those problems anymore at the free-throw line where, you know, I think at one point he was only shooting like 50% from the stripe to see him really blossom out to be that number one pick which he was selected for back in 2017 has just been a real, you know, full kudos to him for, you know, really taking those strides and, you know, be able to elevate himself to, you know, a level where, you know, him himself has just, you know, gotten a lot better, but also for the Orlando Magic too for keeping faith in him even through, you know, the most testing of times. And Paolo Bancaro's, you know, rookie season season alone, he's going to be the rookie MVP averaging about what twenty point one points per game and six point seven assists and what three and a half assists per game. Yeah, we See, didn't vote on that the... as a
0: crew because it will be Paolo Bancaro for rookie of the year.
1: <laughs> and Wendell Carter Jr. too, he's, you know been tremendous for Orlando. Part of that Nikola Vucevic deal so. They've all got the they've got the young pieces right there intact, Orlando. And I think they're only about four and a half games back of the playing seeding at the moment. I was looking at this morning. So there's still, you know, a very slight possibility that they could make a late season push towards that tenth spot, perhaps. So for the Lakers, that's going to be really tricky. OKC, you know, they've had their struggles against them this season. And Chicago, who they played twice and the Bulls, you know, as well, they've got really important, you know. Home and home, against Philly, coming up this weekend in that short three-game Western trip with the Trailblazers, Lakers, and Clippers, which could ultimately decide, you know, where they finish in terms of their playing spots. So there's just so much riding on the line. I don't think we've seen for so many years, especially in the East and Western conferences, because we know, of course, in the East that basically all eight spots are basically decided by the time by this time of year. Whereas when in the West, there's at least two spots up for grabs. So. It makes it for a really riveting viewing, especially in the last, no, three weeks coming up.
0: We'll talk about the West in a moment. Tom, did you want to touch on the Lakers?
1: Yeah, the
3: thing about the Lakers is you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, and you don't know who's going to play either because they had that back-to-back with uh, Rockets on the second night and they just rested Davis, which was crazy because they need the wins and they lost and, you know, that's what happens. And then last night, Davis again. You know, it was about 14 seconds left on the clock. They're up by uh, four and they just completely self-combusted. So you just, you don't know what they're going to get. But the thing that scares me about the Lakers is, is if they do make the playoffs, say that they are healthy, this is probably a similar situation that LeBron had in the bubble where he sort of had that rest before the playoffs. And if he can be healthy, maybe he can ramp up, come into the playoffs and start playing 40 minutes a night going as hard as he can, like he did in that bubble series because he hasn't had to you know, put as many minutes on his body during the, uh, during the regular season with the injuries. That being said, we haven't seen him play basketball in a while and who knows if he can actually stay healthy.
0: Yeah. It's a really optimistic view. And I think a lot of people have that, like, look what he did in the bubble when we had to stop for the pandemic, had some time to rest. Um, LeBron's also 45. Like He's getting old. He started to have these groin, these knee, these feet issues. Um, look, We'll see how it goes for the Lakers. Best of luck to them. Staying in the West. Um, look, the West is completely drunk at the moment. I was just listening to Zach Lowe's podcast before we jumped on, and Kevin Pelton, um, previously from ESPN, had a, a report that – there's only five wins that separate 4th and 12th. Now, that was before today's game. That's the smallest margin in NBA history for a conference through 70 games. So what we're seeing now is literally unprecedented, this this bulging uh, between 4th and 12th. Again, only eight teams used to make the playoffs. We now push it to 10. Um, anyone want to talk on a particularly difficult path or do we just want to leave it? The West is drunk. We'll come back and talk next week and we think we know what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one, hey, Alex. And I think even like the 2017-18 season and even I think the 13 14 season as well, it came down to the last two spots with Dallas and Memphis and Phoenix. I think Minnesota were there for basically there until about late March, and they had their playoff hopes thwarted by that time when they yeah. had, you know, Kevin Love and Nikola Pekovic and Ricky Rubio under coach Rick Adelman. So that was, you know, a distant while ago. But that 13 14 season, I remember I think Phoenix played both Memphis and Dallas in the final week of the regular season. And Unfortunately, lost both of them and the Memphis one was the real sort of soul crusher to the team because it will have been their first playoff appearance since 2010 and there was that, yeah, that game against Memphis, I think it was April 14 or something like that, which the Grizzlies prevailed because Zach Randolph hit about two pivotal shots late in the game to basically, you know, crush Phoenix's hopes. So that season alone where, you know, it's come really down to one, of course, the 17-18 season, basically on what, the regular season finale, Minnesota and Denver, remember? the two teams competing for that eighth spot and it went to overtime and the T-Wolves broke that 14-year playoff drought. So that's the most, you know, that's the best part about it as well to be able to have that closeness where there's only a one or one and a half game gap, say, between fourth down to 12th. That's what makes every game from here on basically, what, 12, 13 games remaining for each of the sides so pivotal down the stretch to be able to, you know, bank those wins because you don't want to be, you know, stuck in a playing tournament alone. You want to grab one of those, you know, four, five, six spots and at least know that you're in the playoffs for the time being.
3: Tom, anything? Well, I mean, this is the beauty of basketball and, and the NBA. So much can change in a day, let alone a week. I mean, in th- this time in a week's time, we might not even have the Nuggets the number one seed. You just don't know. And it's probably the closest the West has been in years. And realistically, there's eight teams that if you told me they won the West, I'm not going to be surprised.
0: All right. Whereas- that's, that's interesting. Like, let's drill down that. Ten teams. that So eight, eight. eight. So teams. eight teams you could win the West. So obviously, uh, I'm looking at the standings now, and me and Yuri might have a little fun with this. So Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns. We heard uh, from you earlier on the Clippers. Dallas? Is Dallas on that list? Yeah. Dallas is on that list. Warriors? Warriors on that list? Yeah. And I'm going to guess you've got the Lakers as that eighth team? Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. So, on, uh, yes. yeah. yeah. I mean,
3: realistically, I'd probably be circling Nuggets, Grizzlies, Suns, and Clippers as sort of the the firm contenders. But if you told me the Warriors or the the Lakers just got healthy and just went on an absolute run and won the West, I'm not going to be shocked. Whereas in the East, it's Bucks, Philly, Celtics. If yeah. anyone outside of those three teams wins the East, I will be shocked.
0: Yeah. So,
3: you know, it's just, it's curving up for a great, you know, sometimes the end of uh, basketball regular season, we see the tanking teams just deliberately lose and the seedings are pretty much set. Whereas this year,
0: who knows? Yeah, I was a big hater of the play-in when it was first being floated around a few years ago. I must admit I was completely wrong. This is a lot of fun at the end of the season. It's still have these comings and goings and things to talk about. I mean, uh, look, anyone else want to talk about anything from this week, Week 22, anything they're looking forward to Week 23? Um, honestly, I'm just looking forward to doing it all again next week in days' time with you guys and getting caught up with the great season we're having in the NBA. I
1: think there's one more thing I want to touch upon, Alex. I just recently had looking. look at at the standings as well because Minnesota lost to Toronto today on the back-to-back without Anthony Edwards, of course, spraining his ankle against Chicago and only playing eight minutes for the entire game. The Lakers only half a game back of Minnesota, OKC, and U- well, Utah won today, of course, against Boston, but they're only, what, one and a half games back of Golden State. So, again, it's just so close. There's you know, such little wriggle room for error, and especially when it comes down to season series as well, Alex. That's going to be a real deciding factor. And with the Lakers, of course, taking the season series over Golden State 2-3-1, they lost, I think, the season series to Dallas 3-1 by, I think it might have been 2-0, actually, two games apiece between the Lakers and Mavericks. Those season series are the ones that go going to decide whether a team makes a plane or gets a playoff spot or not. So again, we've never seen in terms of the Western Conference where teams from down, say, fourth all the way down to 10th have been stuck with basically even 500 records. Most teams right now would be about 13, 14 games over that mark. So, yeah, it's just really, really exciting to see, you know, what's really transpired throughout the season because I don't think we would have possibly envisioned it.
0: Just looking now at the standings in the West, and uh, we'll sign off in a moment. So Clippers at 5th at uh, 37 and 34, 10 games back from 1st lakers at 11 34 and 37 13 games back from first so you have three games separating clippers and fifth from the lakers Mm in 11th all those teams in the middle clippers mavericks warriors timberwolves thunder jazz lakers only one team in that bunch has a winning record over the last 10 games and it's okc like (laughs) like tom had a little bit of laugh there like that's where we're at anything can happen at the moment and um It'd be great watching this week in the NBA. Look, I think we might leave it there, guys. Um, Yuri, thank you very much for joining. Tom, thanks for joining. Julian had to dip out a little earlier and shout out to Jack who couldn't be here today. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks. Thanks. makes had a lot of fun and looking forward to doing this again. Me too.
1: Cheers, Alex. Really enjoyed it as always. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sticking through the show. If you've got a moment, please take a second to leave a review on the podcast or follow the show on Instagram at Mojo Sports Network and at Mojo Stateside. If you've got something you want to say about the show or something you want to talk to us about, hit me up at Alexander J Sports on Instagram. A very special thanks to Yuri, Julian, and Tom for a great chat today. The show is edited by myself. Ben McQueen is our executive producer. We're a product of the Mojo Sports Network. We'll be back at the end of week 23 to talk hoops and give our previews for the play-in tournament. Have a great day.